Hamley. Hey, Greg. It's uh, All-Star Week, which means that you and I will be face to face in lovely San Jose. You'll see my face covered in the orange sauce you put on burritos, which is one of my favorite things to be consuming in the Bay Area. Um, it's going to be fun. Uh, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but uh, puck and player tracking will make its big uh, grand debut on television, which means one of my favorite things will occur, something I will see and say, wow, what a cool technological advancement, says the old guy who watched the glow puck in the 1990s and thought it was abhorrent and is super happy that technology has gotten to the point. Or not only can we have a glow puck that works, but also, you know, running ice time and giant arrows pointing to players and telling us how things go. I'm very impressed by this. And then I'll turn on the Twitter machine and I'll look on the Twitter and people are like, this is stupid. It looks like a bad video game. Who made Jar Jar Binks is on the ice? Blah, blah. And so I fully expect that hockey fans, because this is who we are, will reject this stuff, even though I think at the end of the day, A, it's pretty cool and B, it's going to enable us to bet on a lot of things uh, in the near future. Which is a perfect venue for that in San Jose, the tech uh, capital right. of America. The, the cradle of technology, the place yeah. where uh, many of uh, the companies that uh, uh, you and I have worked for uh, probably have uh, gotten their start. I, at least for me. I mean, uh, Yahoo uh, was a tech company in the Bay Area. Um and uh, may still be there. I don't know. Uh, coming up on ESPN and Ice, we've got uh, things that are also disappearing, like uh, Peter Chiarelli uh, from the Edmonton Oilers, uh, plus some super cool guests. Marty San Louis, a new uh, advisor for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and Rick DiPietro, former New York Islanders goalie, current uh, New York radio talk show host, who will discuss the Islanders' surge to the top of the Metro Division and many other things as well. Uh, all that and more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, it's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. And boy, oh boy, what a momentous uh, occasion it was to not record the show yesterday. Uh, because <laughs> the biggest news uh, in weeks in the National Hockey League occurred uh, a scant uh, hours after we decided to push the show for a day, which is that Peter Chiarelli embattled uh, general manager for the Edmonton Oilers, uh, was in fact fired and was in fact fired in the second intermission of what was looking like a home ice loss to what was statistically the worst team in the National Hockey League at that moment, the Detroit Red Wings. Um, Peter Chiarelli, no longer the GM of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I guess it's like Keith Gretzky, I guess, taking over on sort of an interim uh, brain trust consortium basis in Edmonton. Uh, what was your reaction when you uh, woke up to the news that uh, Peter, Peter Chiarelli had been turfed? Yeah, well, it seemed like it was inevitable. By the time I went to bed, uh, you were getting some rumblings that uh, a move was imminent. But um, I will say this. There were some very dubious things about the timing that everything went down. And you mentioned that he was fired in the second intermission because, and I quote, they wanted to let him leave the building quietly. Yeah. Uh, but it seemed dubious also because they had apparently decided the night earlier that he was going to be fired. Why make him even show up to work that day? Uh, but the biggest question we have is about the cost in uh, extension that was given uh, to a goalie who is 30 years old, has 28 starts to his name, about a handful of them about a decade ago. This feels like many shades of the Scott Darling 
contract. And we find out from some reports that it was mainly Peter Chiarelli negotiating with the agent here. So it was clearly like a, a last-ditch attempt by him. But uh, look, uh, they said it. Bob Nicholson said it at his conference. There's something in the water in Edmonton. And that reeks of we understand there's a culture issue. It's not just one man making the bad decisions. There's a lot of things contributing to our lack of success. At the same time, you can say that, you can talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. And what are you going to do to make the wholesale changes in this franchise to make sure that you are not remembered as the franchise that squandered the best years of the best generational player's life? Yeah, and that's a real bummer. And, and, and it hurts the NHL at the end of the day for the Oilers to be bad because they do possess the best player in the world who unfortunately decided to commit to an eight-year term with said team. Uh, I'm sure that he is regretting that at this point. Um, a couple things on, on, on the Chiarelli, uh, firing. Uh, first of all, completely warranted. Um, his track record is going to go down. This is, this is one of the worst runs in the history of general management in, in hockey. Um, you go to the, the Griffin Reinhardt trade that resulted in Matt Barzell going to the Islanders. You go to the Lucic signing, uh, bringing on a guy who, was cresting over his prime anyway, and and then you know uh, in a, at a time when the league is getting faster, they signed a, a, a you know a steamboat uh, to basically play on on Connor McDavid's line. Uh, then the Taylor Hall trade, which we won't relitigate here, uh, and then of course the the latest thing, which was the Everly begat Strom begat Spooner begat Waivers mess. Every every move seemed to be a, a negative move for the Oilers. We could just and, put it this uh, way. You could what? literally put a team together of yeah. Peter Chiarelli castaways, and that's even assuming that Tim Thomas at age 44 has been training on his bunker somewhere or not, <laughs> and I think they could compete in the Pacific <clears throat> Division this year. I really Oh, do. yeah. Speaking of goalies, like, I, I don't put – I hate when you put me in the position of having to defend stuff, but the Miko Koskinen signing – to me, at least makes some logical sense in the sense that both of their goalies were free agents. So if you don't bring either of them back, you're basically hitting the reset button. You got two new guys in there. And I don't necessarily know if that's the best thing for consistency. Would I give them that money and that term? Probably not. Uh, but do I like them better than Cam Talbot? Yeah. So I, I understand it. But what are you going to say? My, what I'm going to say is I understand it as well. It's the money and the term that bother me and the timing. You're bidding against yourself. You could still have consistency inside the offseason, but mm-hmm. you're bidding against yourself when you give them that right now. Because who else wants it? Now, wants it. Now, here's the thing about that signing, though, because immediately when I saw that signing, I said to myself, when did they take the keys away from this guy? Like, he made the, he made the Drake Kajula for, uh, Brandon Manning trade on December 30th. At that point, that has to be the last move that that guy makes. Right? That has to be the last move that guy makes. Um, and so I look at this signing and I say to myself, all right, so when exactly is, 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 is he now a figurehead and it's the rest of the managerial team kind of running the show? And so mm-hmm. I got it. I got a, a DM from an agent. Um, which I know I'm just pat myself on the back. I'm like, Ooh, run over here. Someone slid into your DMs, Greg. Someone slid into my DMs, a, a guy who makes significantly more than I do, I think, um, and said, do people really think because he was the GM that he made every decision in a vacuum by himself? Mm-hmm. Um, every time I spoke to him about signing a player, he always said, let me talk it over with the guys. I'll get back to you. He worked with a big staff, and every trade, every transaction, every contract was endlessly debated and discussed by that group, every single decision. So now everyone wants to hang him as the worst GM in the world. 
And then he goes on to kind of say that Keith Gretzky was a really bad scout, <laughs> run out of Boston, and now he's the acting GM. I, I, I understand that, and I kind of agree with it. I think that we should all t- kind of take a step back and say to ourselves that there are certain decisions that Peter Schiarelli made where I believe the buck stopped with him. And I think that he deserves all of the criticism and grief that comes his way for those decisions. Mm-hmm. But the totality of these decisions, especially the really high-level ones, had to be made in concert with guys like Kevin Lowe, Craig McTavish, Scott Hausen, maybe even up the chain to Bob Nicholson, the Where CEO of the There's a lot of, of guys with GM experience in that A group. lot of guys with GM experience, a lot of really smart hockey men, maybe part of the 200 Lots hockey of men hockey rules. men, so many talk hockey men. About, talk about that in a second. So the idea that this is all Peter Cirelli is doing, that he had like a Lou Lamarillo level of autonomy on that mm. team, I'm not buying it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, he is the problem. He should go. He sucked. His legacy is now tarnished. Like, it, it, it seemed impossible in this league to be the guy who put together that Bruins team that beat the hell out of Vancouver, won the cup, uh, and, and, and not have your legacy be cemented as being a, a fantastic general manager. I mean, for God's sakes, you got, you, you bought Char there, you Thomas, the whole thing. But now it's tainted because you're also the guy who ruined Connor McDavid's first few years in the league. Right. But the idea that he did it on his own is nonsense. And uh, and and Bob Nicholson acknowledged this in some roundabout way during his press availability today, talking about like there's something in the water here in Edmonton that we uh, don't have right as far as whether their failings run deeper than the GM or the coach. Um, but it's on this guy to kind of identify it, and it's going to be on Edmonton to. Once again, to not be scared off by this Chiarelli thing, because this is one of the few times they went outside the family to hire somebody. They got to do it again. They got to go outside the family and hire somebody and uh, put them in charge and say, look at this roster, fix it, and uh, and we're going to stay out of your way. Because I think this is as much a brain trust problem as it is a Peter Chiarelli problem with the Edmonton Oilers. But that said, he had to go. No, and I think you're bringing up a really good point because it's almost coming to a realization for me where – you say, look, there's so many cooks in the kitchen, and this is a brand trust. Too and, many cooks, as we and, saw in that Adult Swim uh, parody. I totally missed that, but I obviously was referencing it. <laughs> and there's and there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, you get the bad culture, and then that's where there's something in the water. Well, I, I think this is a situation where you need someone with conviction. And I sometimes I look at some of the most successful GMs uh, this year. If you look at more of the successful GMs, I, I think it's Kyle Dubas, or even it's um, Stan Bowman, I know that sounds crazy, but he's had conviction about things in a way that he hasn't before in correcting his mistakes and admitting wrong and finally has a vision for the team. And, and I think you just need one guy, give him the reins, and, and maybe clear out some of the power from other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens there. It's going to be fa- I, th- I think it's a job that people are going to want because I think that there is something there from a core perspective that you could build on. And by that, I mean Connor McDavid. Uh, but there is a lot of heavy lifting to do. Even even Ken Hitchcock last night acknowledged that this is not a roster that has got enough horses to really uh, succeed in this league, um, and that that falls squarely on Chiarelli and management. So good riddance. It was a it was a horrible run. It was an embarrassing run. The 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 fact that this guy was still able to to even be the figurehead for this team after the Eberle trade and the Hall trade is nuts. Like you don't get a lot of shots, and, and I said this on on Puck Soup this week, like. You, you, it's okay to trade Taylor Hall. Yeah. And it's okay to trade Jordan Eberle. Like, that's okay. You can make those decisions. That's fine. There was a time when, uh, Dean Lombardi traded away Jack Johnson and Wayne Simmons and, and, uh, and other young prospects. And he did okay. And to build, to build out from a, a core of their team and they won cups. That's fine. Like, that's, you, you can make those aggressive moves, but you don't get to replay those chips. 
Mm-hmm. Once the chips are off the table, they're gone, baby. They're swept into that weird slot on the the poker table at the in in Vegas where all the chips disappear. I don't know where they go, but they're not there anymore. They're not yours anymore. So once you play the Taylor Hall chip for Adam Larson, you don't get to play that chip again. Chip's gone. Once you play the Jordan Everly chip to try to get some cost savings to give Leon Dreisaitl a ridiculous contract he hadn't even earned yet, that chip's gone. And you, you're you left holding Ryan Strom, and you're like, I don't want Ryan Strom. Then you're left holding Ryan Spooner with like three points in 24 games. And then that chip's gone because you put him on waivers. <laughs> like, you got nothing left. The idea that you have Everly and Hall and you end up with Adam Larson and a waiver claim is nuts. And and to me, uh, that's on Chiarelli. It has to be. I refuse to believe that at that point in his tenure as GM, when he's got all that sort of like Stanley Cup, you know, uh, shine to him, that he's not making the call on at least those two deals. Uh, that's on him. And you can't replay those chips. Those chips are gone. And that is why the roster looks like it is because he didn't get enough for two very desirable assets uh, that are now uh, disappeared into the ether. Uh, one of which is holding a, a heart trophy. <laughs> So good on him. Uh, condolences to the Oilers and their fans because this is terrible. Uh, but you'll probably still make the playoffs, which because this league is dumb. Uh, <laughs> all right, better news, better tops, toppings. <laughs> Papa John's. Um, Marty San Louis uh, is of course now a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets organization, uh, reuniting uh, with uh, John Tortorella. And uh, and he spoke with Emily about a great many things. How did this job come about for you? Uh, well, uh, John Tortorella called me a few weeks back and asked me if I'd be interested in helping out. Uh, he knows where I am, I guess, in my life right now with my kids and coaching my kids that I'm not ready to, uh, to jump into something that's gonna, uh, take, take me away from my kids. So he thought that I could help, um, you know, from my experience, my knowledge, uh, you know, not necessarily being, uh, there on a day-to-day basis, but more like you know, looking over it a little bit and trying to bring, trying to bring some uh, ideas, I guess, and, uh, from my own uh, experience and feel, uh, you know, especially on the power play. What specifically intrigued you about this opportunity? Uh, for me, just being inside the ropes a little bit, um, just. Uh, I've always enjoyed, I mean, I've coached my kids since I retired, but I've always thought that I, I would uh, get into coaching at some point on a higher level. For me, it gives me a chance to get my feet wet a little bit and, uh, you know, learn a little bit the dynamic, you know, working with, you know, professional athletes and obviously, have, have you know, being one of them before, I think I have a feel of, you know, uh, uh, you know, what's inside their heads a little bit and how they feel out there. Uh, so I feel I can really add it with that perspective. So you, as you mentioned, you've been coaching your three sons since retirement in, in Connecticut and they're all under 15. I'm curious, how were you managed the travel? And also, was it difficult telling them, like, look, dad's not going to be around as much. He's going to, you know, try to take this job in Columbus for a bit. Well, I don't think that's really, uh, you know, going to take me away from them um, a lot. I mean, I think between the, the jacket schedule and my schedule, there's pockets on both sides that it makes sense uh, for me to travel to Columbus. 
I think we're we're all under towards the last thing he wants is take me away from my kids. Uh, so I didn't really have to have that conversation. I think they're excited that I'm involved with a you know NHL team, um, and but I don't think they see it. I don't see it as as uh, me telling them that I'm not going to be there as much. Uh, I think. Uh, there's pockets that they probably won't even notice if I'm gone because they're so busy with their schedule. And, but, uh, you know, I don't see myself being gone for so long that they feel that I'm not home. How much film of Columbus have you watched? I mean, I've been watching them for the last three weeks. Um, you know, and it, listen, this is, a, this is a very good team. Uh, they've done some very good things this year. Uh, it's a very good staff. Uh, I'm looking forward to work with that group and just add what I can add. You know, uh, I'm not coming in there like um, telling them we got to do X, Y, and Z. I think I have to uh, understand uh, the personnel a little bit before, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, I start uh, directing traffic. Like I'm, 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 I'm more uh, want to add to what's already uh, a, a great group of players and, and, and coaching staff, and they've done some great things. They would just like to get a bit better in that power play uh, column, and uh, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm just looking to, to add a little bit of that. Not specific to Columbus, but is there anything you notice about you know the modern NHL power play that's different from even you know four or five years ago when you were last playing? Uh. You know, I mean, four or five years ago, they're, to me, they're still doing some of the things that we were doing then. Uh, to me, like, uh, the PP uh, is really coming down to, you know, to making reads, not so much set plays. I have ideas, but I have the five guys really being part of the equation. Uh, you can't just, like, rely on your best player to just take that shot, you know. It's not like... Your best player, you know, gets the ball with with you know ten seconds remaining, and he's going to take that that last shot like in basketball. There's a lot more that come into play because teams will take time and space away from you, and everybody has to react together and, and, and understand what each and every one are doing. And uh, collectively, um, you know, you have to think as one a little bit. I'm curious about your relationship with Torts. How did it evolve just from, you know, the time you got to Tampa Bay towards the end of your tenure there? Well, I mean, we were together for seven, eight years. Then he went out to New York and, uh, you know, Vancouver and Columbus. I mean, I've always stayed in touch with him here and there. Uh, always uh, pulled for him um, from a distance and send the odd texts if they were doing great things, and uh, I think we have respect for each other. And um, towards his hard nose, and uh, works really hard at it, and cares. And I'm very uh, similar that way, um, you know. So I, uh, I'm, I'm very um, flattered that he would call me and and ask for my opinion. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm appreciative of, of the opportunity uh, to to uh, you know get to share my knowledge, I guess, and uh, hopefully I can uh, help this great group uh, that's doing already great things. 
Everyone, of course, though, does have a tort story. We had Seth Jones on recently, and he was talking about the first time he was chewed out by him. Do you have a one story that you always, you know, think encapsulates him best? Maybe one you always tell your buddies or your kids about, you know, what he was like as a coach. I mean, Torch was like the, you know, like the tough dad a little bit, you know, where he didn't, wasn't afraid to tell you how exactly it is, you know. But he was not just a tough dad in terms of being tough nonstop. He, you know, he was loving as well. So, and people will see him as, as you know, as a, a tough guy, obviously, through the media and stuff. But, like, uh, he's got a great human side, you know. Obviously, the, you know, he... I don't know how many dogs he has now, but, you know, he rescues a lot of dogs, and I think he's on to horses now, too, and, uh, you know, he's, there's, a, there's a great uh, human side to torts, and he's just very passionate about the game, and, uh, you know, but for me, I just, uh, uh, you know, I always knew where I stood with him, and he always spoke the truth, and if you didn't want to hear the truth, you know, then maybe your feelings were hurt, but uh, he helped me tremendously, and um, he's doing the same thing with some young players now, and uh, you know Columbus has done some great things. When you watch the NHL now, do you ever wonder, I, like, just I wish I was born twenty years later because this game just suits me, and maybe it wouldn't have been as hard for me to crack the NHL. Everything happened for a reason. I, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, everything has, has gone uh, uh, way better than I expected uh, on many levels. Being able to play with great teammates, win championships, and uh, you know whether it was uh, gold medal or Stanley Cup, and able to to do uh, you know some cool thing individually as well. And obviously in November, getting inducted into the Hall. Like, yeah, I mean, this hockey is fun to watch now. Would I wish I would play in this era sometime? Of course, but the uh, big picture, I wouldn't change a thing. You know how I came in, and and was it hard? Yeah, but I don't think I would accomplish the things I did without uh, you know going over a few hurdles. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the things you can do in Columbus. Thank you very much. All right, joining us now our good friend Linda Cohn for the Ask Linda segment. Linda, of course, is uh, one of the hosts of In the Crease on ESPN Plus, our nightly highlight show uh, chronicling the NHL like no other. And, of course, NHL games available every night, basically, on ESPN Plus. Just had the Sharks and the Caps you know, the other night, that crazy, crazy, wacky scoring game. Uh, so good stuff there. Linda, uh, I believe Emily has your question this week. I do. This yes. is from Joe from Denver. And you know what, Linda? It is not involving goalies or anyone in the new york area it is involving the colorado avalanche and joe wants to know nice. where do you see the abs going this year i don't see them being a contender why won't Sackett go all in you know six weeks ago i thought they were stanley cup contender i mean i couldn't stop talking about them raving about them uh on in the crease uh, obviously that top line uh you know with ratton and mckinnon and landeskog obviously they've been great but everybody else is just totally i don't know what happened i mean you know we saw a shouting match between mckinnon and bednar um but this avalanche team is just simply not playing the way they were and why i thought they were contenders because i thought they had it all i really did i thought they were deep i thought they were a heavy team i thought they were fast enough i'm not saying um they're not going to make the playoffs i believe they will make the playoffs um but i'm not as confident as i once was Hmm. Uh oh. Do you know what I, I'm confident the, the, about? What are you confident about? Seeing Linda this week. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All-star game, baby. San Jose. Linda's going to be on site for some in-the-crease hijinks and also uh, player interviews and, and, and sports center fun. What, do you like the All-Star game, or is it lost its luster for you, Linda? Uh, I think for hockey people like us, we still always find the positive, and it's still exciting in some ways for us. Um, I'm not sure I, I can speak for all of the players because I don't think – Unless you're a young player, unless you're a second-year player, third-year player, you know, young going for the first time. But then, you know, we see what happens. The Carey Prices, the Alex Ovechkins, they're not going. Um, you know, we see this every year. But we also see the Sidney Crosby's going. So I think it just depends on who you talk with. For me personally, I like it. And I especially like it if I'm in the building, and which I will be at the Shark Tank, uh, watching the best of the world who did show up play. <laughs> and I like the three-on-three. You know? I love the three on three. Also, I like the skills competition because, as someone who is very uncoordinated, I, I enjoy seeing athletes <laughs> do things that you are uncoordinated. Oh, you don't oh, even know. Egg. Oh my god, you put me out in one of those skills competitions. I just I'd fall on my butt and just start crying. Uh, Linda, awesome that you're going to be out there. We look forward to seeing you, and uh, thanks for doing this again. Same here. I look forward to seeing you both. Thanks again, guys. Our thanks to Marty San Louis for joining us and talking about his uh, next phase in life. I think we discovered a lot about him, Emily. We did discover a lot about him, Greg. And do you know what? Discover is the official credit card of the NHL. <laughs> and with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL's team's logo and colors. And these days, for Marty San Louis, that's the Columbus Blue Jackets. But no matter where team you root for, and Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match on all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. No caps, no signups. Redeem your rewards at any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all of that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats at the game, your favorite player with jersey, or maybe buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members, limitations apply. Indeed. Keep in mind those limitations. Hmm. There's no limits when it comes to the possibilities for the Seattle NHL franchise. Our beloved, oh, who's to say what the name will even be? <laughs> maybe, maybe even the Sasquatch is still alive. It could be but, in the running still. But you were out there poking around, throwing fish at the at the Pike Market and drinking coffee and, and dodging raindrops, doing the Seattle thing. And you believe, Emily Kaplan. That you may have some insight as to who the first general manager in the history of the Seattle Sockeyes slash Kraken slash Sasquatch slash Totem slash Metros might be. Just list every name so we know you're right. We can just edit this podcast. That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a true journalism move. You know, I, I have a feeling that uh, John Gibson could win the heart, but also I believe Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid and Elias Pettersson and Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin. You can, the, the list goes on and on, really, as far as heart trophy candidates, and any of those guys could be a winner. So Fast, but, fast forward four, four months. I, of course, said that Nikita Kucherov would win the heart trophy. <laughs> he was in my short list. Uh, yeah, no, I did go out there, and um, I've got some interesting intel. Firstly, I was just curious about what it was like uh, you know, what? what's operating right now. And it is a very small office. It's two stories. There are 13 people who work there, a lot of empty desks. Uh, once the story came out, I was texted by someone who is with Vegas when they began and said, 
Did you know that our first office was a, in a warehouse, I believe, by an old porn studio, and there was a shower <laughs> in the middle of their offices? So, um, wow. It's really, right. you know, building from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of timeline stuff. One, I would not be shocked if you heard the team name and logo sometime this summer. Uh, that Ooh. seems to be what they're targeting. That sounds um, like a draft thing to me. Like maybe maybe end of end of June at the I draft. I can see that. Don't forget about us. Balance. We're still here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in talking to the folks there and in talking to the hockey operations department, which is one person, and that's Dave Tippett, uh, you get the sense that they want to hire a GM this spring. Um, if you go by Vegas's timeline, it would be a year from now. But um, look, the owners have told them, don't worry about economics as a question. Like, don't let money rule the day on this. You got to do it right. They feel that other teams are prepared and they kind of need to be prepared too. And plus, so many decisions fall on the GM, whether it's, you know, A, who to hire as the coach, B, what the scouting structure should be like and who to hire there. So all this is falling on it. All of this is my long-winded say, way to say I think there's three names on top of the list right now. All right. You got Doug Armstrong, oh. which is interesting because he is currently employed by the St. Louis Blues. He is but most definitely a Blues GM right now. Many in the league don't see that as a long-term uh, marriage, but many in the league also don't see uh, Armstrong as someone who's going to fade away. He's still got a lot of hockey clout. Ken Holland is also employed right now by the Detroit <clears throat> Red Wings. This is interesting because, of course, people are going to try to link Steve Eiserman, uh to the Seattle franchise. He's got a relationship with Lewicki from their time in Tampa Bay, but... You know, from my understanding, Eisenman really does want to go home and be with his family. Well, his family is in Detroit. It wasn't like trying to get out of Tampa. He had a good situation there. So, you know, maybe this is a case of musical chairs. And, yeah, and, they, would, and they, would, they would hire Eisenman in a millisecond in Detroit. Uh, oh, I mean, even f- just from a PR perspective, that's going to, you know, encourage. I literally people. think that there's like maybe four teams right now where if Eisenman came available, the four teams would be like, now we're good. Like maybe Toronto is really confident in Kyle Dubas or something like that. But other than that, this, you know, he's the most attractive candidate out there. And the third is someone else uh, with a relationship with Lewicki, and that's Dean Lombardi. Oh, yeah. From his old LA Kings days. Oh, yeah. I, uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? I don't know if I like Dean Lombardi from a, um, building standpoint. Like I, I like, I like Dean Lombardi from a, a, I would actually like him better in Edmonton, to be honest with you. Like I, I, I would like him to go in and just be like, here are the, th- he, you know, I'll, I'll do it in Dean Lombardi speak. Here are the things that we have and here are the things that we need. And I'm going to figure out which of the things that we have we're going to jettison. I believe it was the great Roman emperor warrior Centapolis who once said, this is what he used to do on conference calls all the time, is he started spouting off on this like Roman and Greek military history stuff. Um, he, he would be somebody I want to come in and slash and burn my roster and not build it. Mm. Now, why isn't Kelly McCrimmon, the assistant general manager, in the in Vegas, I wonder why he isn't part of the equation. Is it they want maybe an established general manager that's got previous NHL experience versus someone who's never piloted the ship before? Is that probably what they're looking for? Maybe that's you know the sense that I get with the three names that kind of emerge. But I wouldn't rule Kelly McCrimmon out. Um, I think he's become a hot name for a mm-hmm. lot of teams, and you know the way he navigated, he was so instrumental in that um, uh, expansion draft. And I think they would look for someone who had that expertise. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the interesting things that I came away from my trip to Seattle were just the amount of work they need to get done. And really, the extra year is probably beneficial. I didn't really consider like AHL franchise. They've got to do that there. I'd expect them to come to a decision on that soon. They have to pay an expansion fee to the AHL. I was told that is a fraction of the $650 million, probably more like the three to $5 million range. Uh, they want to pick somewhere. They're going to the AHL steering them to somewhere which makes sense in the Pacific <clears throat> Division because they've got an opening there. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting here is do they do what Colorado just did and 
take a ECHL franchise and pretty much buy them and say, like, we're just going to take all the infrastructure and make it an AHL. I hmm. don't think the AHL wants to do that. They want to maintain their relationship with the ECHL. At the right. same time, there's a lot of benefits for that if you're the NHL team and you're like, we don't have to build two teams from scratch. It'd be really nice if we kind of had a turnkey situation. So that's something I'm keeping my eye on. Interesting. Interesting. All right, cool. Uh, now, one thing that we're keeping on our, our eye on over here is uh, the New York Islanders. The New York Islanders have rocketed up the standings. They are, without question, one of the uh, best stories in the National Hockey League this year. You know, from Barry Trotz taking over, you know, from Lula Marilla taking over, you know, from the chip on the shoulder after John Deveris said, I choose you, Toronto, to take my talents there, leaving the Islanders high and dry, leaving many of the punditry, including two, two people on this podcast, to be like, the Islanders are going to suck. And the Islanders mm-hmm. are like, no, we're not. And then they have the best save percentage in hockey, and all of a sudden they're the top of, of the uh, of the Metropolitan Division, although they're still significantly farther back from Tampa. So uh, we wanted to uh, have our, our good friend Rick DiPietro from uh, ESPN in New York to join us to talk about a team that he knows quite well and uh, some other stuff pertaining to New York hockey. Joining us now, Rick DiPietro, uh, former NHL goaltender and uh, obviously uh, part of the Humpty and Canty show on uh, 98.7 FM ESPN New York from 10 to 1 Eastern Time. You can catch all of this, their stuff. Uh, also, I think you can catch them on a podcast, uh, replay of the show and such. Good, solid New York sports talk. Rick, thanks for joining the show. We wanted to talk to you about New York hockey. We wanted to talk about your former team, the New York Islanders. I have Mia culpud. I thought they were going to suck this year. I thought this was a lose for Hughes kind of situation. But apparently, Barry Trotz is not down with the tank, and they are, in fact, leading a division as we head into the All-Star break. How shocked are you by the Islanders this year? No, I'm pretty shocked, actually. I didn't think they would be bad. I thought it would take some time to kind of you know adjust to a completely different way of doing things. I mean, Lula Merlo came in, and in my opinion, there's there's really no one better in the business as far as you know building an organization, teaching you know, everyone in the organization, what it takes to win on a consistent basis. I mean, very rarely do you have the opportunity to hire, you know, a head coach that just won a Stanley Cup. But, you know, luckily for us, Barry Trotz was available. And you guys are 100% right. I mean, it, it's not like this team added talent. If anything, you could say they're less talented this year than they were last year, losing John Tavares. And, you know, all of a sudden to see, you know, what I get a chance to see on a, a nightly basis, you're talking about a team that, I think it surprised the entire NHL, and we'll head into the All-Star break here in first place. So, Rick, you obviously pay close attention to goalies, and one of the biggest question marks entering this year for the Islanders was undoubtedly their defense and goaltending, and it's been quite spectacular. Both guys, but specifically Robin Lanner, have you know really stepped up. Why do you think that is? Do you think this is the Mitch Korn effect? Do you think it's just them you know, being in the right situation? Why are these guys thriving? Well, I think it's a testament to him. I mean, I, I think Thomas Grice, and, and we saw what he did, uh, in that playoff run against the Florida Panthers, uh, he was, he was terrific. And, you know, give Leonard a ton of credit. I mean, you know, he had the story before the season started with, you know, the, the, the painting on his helmet, kind of talking about how he dealt with the demons. And this was an opportunity for himself, uh, to come in and jumpstart his career in a new place. And you got to give him tons of credit. Uh, I think when you look at what the Islanders have done as far as, you know, Mitch Korn coming in and kind of trying to help solidify that position. And then on top of that, the way this team plays in the defensive zone, I mean, it's it's really amazing to watch. I'm I'm actually kind of jealous, to be completely honest with you, watching this team play <laughs> in the defensive zone. I mean, it's it's true though. When when you watch how you know closely contested these games are and how much parity is going on right now in the NHL, 
I mean, that, that travels. You, you can take that kind of defense everywhere and you'll always have an opportunity to win and, and, and be competitive. I mean, last night was a perfect example. They get a point. Um, you know, a couple power play goals end up costing them, but still it's another game where they give up two goals and, and we're, we're in the game the entire time. So what Leonard's done, I mean, he leads the league in save percentage and goals against, uh, headed into the all-star break. It's unbelievable. You mentioned Mitch Korn, who's obviously got the reputation of being a goalie whisperer in this league. And, and if you could take us behind the curtain for a second, when, when a goalie changes goalie coaches, um, what's that process like? How long does it take for you to get comfortable with a new guy? And, uh, and, and how, uh, open are you to someone else's philosophy versus what you've been dealing with maybe for the last couple of years? I was lucky enough and I guess unlucky enough to go through well, seven or eight goalie coaches. <laughs> wow. When I was with the Islanders, um, I, I think there's a, you know, there's a certain amount of time where you, you get to know each other. Uh, I'm sure that Mitch has, you know, done his due diligence as far as, you know, learning about Robin Leonard and, and what he likes to do, his strengths and weaknesses. Um, it, it really comes down to, you know, identifying things that you need to work on, improving what you're already good at. And, and I think with what, what he's been able to do in, in particular with Robin this year is, just simplify the game. I mean, when you watch this team play for me as a former goalie, the biggest thing for me was to be as big as possible in net, obviously, and it's easier for him than it was for me because he's a big guy anyway. But this Islanders team does a really good job when you watch them play of eliminating the second and third chances. So as long as he's, you know, he's the pucks early, he's set, his feet are set, and he's big in net, takes care of the first, the, the first save. I mean, for the most part, the Islanders are doing a really good job of clearing out those second and third opportunities. Now that you're an established member of the New York media market, um, but you also have a you know a different perspective, I'm curious of your take of how New York Islanders have dealt with this. What's really been a you know 24 month or 12 month roller coaster of what their uh, their franchise has been like. How has it been like to watch the swings of emotions and, and where fans are at now? You know, we would always complain about the Nassau Coliseum. You know, it was a dump, but it was our dump. And <laughs> now, I mean, careful what you wish for because now that it's gone and we're back a little bit, but still. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I was actually on my way to Brooklyn a couple weeks ago, and, and I was a creature of habit, to say the very least. Like, if, you know, no phone calls, I had to be asleep at a, at a certain time, I had to eat the same things. And I was on my way to Brooklyn, and and I looked at my wife, and I said, I couldn't do this. As a player, I could not I could never deal with having to be at a game at 3.30 and deal with the traffic it takes to get to Brooklyn. So I give these guys a lot of credit. I, I know the fan base, especially in Suffolk County, um, was pretty disappointed with having to go back and forth to Brooklyn. I think it was up to Lou right now. They would play all their home games at the Coliseum, especially the playoff games, because there's a distinct home ice advantage. But I mean, as a former Islander myself, my biggest, my biggest regret was not having that connection between our teams that I played on and those great 80s teams. I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. about one of the greatest teams in the history of professional sports, and there was this disconnect. It was like, almost like it was a, a completely different organization from that one. And now it took some time. But I think we finally realized that, you know what, the way that we're doing things, it's it's just not working right now. We need someone in here that that can fix this thing. And I don't think anyone expected it to be as fixed as you know as fast as it has been. But I mean, Lula Ramillo is the guy. If you could pick one guy in the NHL to come in and and teach you what it takes to be a champion, that would be the guy that you want. Yeah, I've, I've one of my soapbox kind of things for forever has been the idea that. There's so much nostalgia tied up with the Islanders and those teams and, and those players that like they've got the potential to be the Chicago Blackhawks. Like if they, if they start winning and, and pushing towards a cup, I think you're going to see like 
fans who haven't cared about the Islanders in decades coming back to the fold and, and, and getting in line and remembering what those teams meant for them. And they become this sort of sensation that people all around the country start rooting for. So I think you're right on that. Uh, February 28th is the date the Islanders fans have circled in their calendars since July. Uh, Toronto comes to the Coliseum. Tavares comes home. You, you got your finger on the pulse of these fans. What do you think the reaction is going to be? What do you think the reaction should be for John Tavares coming back to the island? Well, I don't think it's going to be positive. It's, <laughs> uh, to be completely honest with you, and, you know, I love Johnny. I, I got a chance to play with Johnny. Um, in my opinion, you know, probably not, in my experience, a, a better leader on and off the ice than John Tavares. It, it took him a while to, to feel comfortable with that, but as soon as he did, I mean, this is a guy who shows up every single day. He's the same guy, regardless of how many goals he scored. If we won or lost, it's the same thing every single day. Um, so Toronto definitely definitely made the right move picking him up. I think Islanders fans are hurt. I mean, hopeful at first that there was a real opportunity for us to have him, you know, retire an Islander. And then it's almost like a jilted lover, to be completely honest with you. I mean, people yeah. will people will go out of their way to to show their displeasure. I think we're actually giving away Islanders pajamas that night. To kind of mock Amazing. his Amazing. So a kid can grow picture. up with them and that's have right. a picture on Twitter <laughs> in uh, 2035. I mean, that's where we're at. And you know what? This is exactly what we needed. I think we've all embraced uh, Matt Barzell and, and how fun and exciting he is. But, I mean, when you look at this team and how we play, there's no question that we could use someone like John Tavares still. All right, last question for me. A couple days before that is the NHL trade deadline. What do you see this team doing? I definitely think they upgrade. Um, I definitely think this team, as good as they played, I would think that, that maybe offensively they'd like an upgrade, and then I think on the back end they could definitely use some help. Um, you know, Taze has stepped in and, and been really good for us, but I, I definitely think that if we could find, you know, a solid defensive defenseman to, to upgrade that back end would be nice. Last one for me. You've been in this market for a long time. You know how the other team in the market that plays in Manhattan usually operates. It seems like they're actually committed to the rebuild. It seems like they're trying to do it right for the first time. There's a part of me that says, okay, Eric Carlson and Artemi Panarin could be available this summer, and I could see the MSG vault opening up. But there's also a part of me that's like, maybe this time they're actually going to take their time, and the Rangers aren't going to spend to the cap on free agents to try to expedite the process. No, it feels like it. And it puts me in, touch, in such a tough spot, because with our show... um you know, we're the, we're, we're the station for the Rangers. So we get David Quinn on, um, mm-hmm. you know, once a week and I got to listen to my co-host, Chris Candy. He's David Quinn's now his favorite coach in, in New York <laughs> and, and he's such a good guy, but, um, I think they're headed in the right direction. And I think you're right. I think they're going to stick to this rebuild. Uh, unfortunately for Henrik Lundqvist, he's going to have to deal with being a part of this rebuild, but I think they have a good head coach in place and I think they know, uh, it's going to take some time, but but they're not as far away as, as I think a lot of people think they are. Adam Gase is my favorite coach in New York, by the way. <laughs> you just a, like his Jet, eyes. I like his eyes, but also as a Jet fan, it's the, he's the best coach in franchise history right now because he hasn't lost a game yet. So, I mean, I always have to go into it with optimism, <laughs> and he's my guy right now until they start losing. So that's, that's where we've gone as Jets fans. Because yeah. he's 0-0, zero and zero, he's our best coach. Right. He's got freaky eyes that look like they should shoot <laughs> lasers out of him. And you and, can all relate and, to that. And he hasn't lost yet. So, I mean, to me, that's it's it's like, it's like what's the best uh, week of the season for a Jets fan? It's the bye week because nothing bad could happen in theory. <laughs> so, all right, Ricky, thank you so much for joining us, man. Everybody check out Humpty and Canty on, uh, on the New York uh, ESPN radio station and check out it in uh, streaming and podcast form as well. Great New York sports talk, and uh, thanks again for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Ricky Pietro, former New York Islanders goalie, 
And uh, now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's time for Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, the segment each week when we look at the foibles, hyperbole, mistakes, gaffes of the hockey media. Um... This week we're gonna we're gonna do what would would amount to be a a number retirement on Phil Kessel of hot, loves hot dogs. We are going to retire all of the water carrying that the Edmonton media did for Peter Chiarelli during his time there. The whiplash inducing turns from support to criticism. It's time for us to take all of these, put them in the time capsule, and fire them in the second intermission of a game. Into the sun. But before we do, we will honor scribes like Terry Jones, who we mentioned on the show previously, who weeks ago said that Peter Chiarelli got his mojo back, and now Peter Chiarelli is moseying out of the arena in the second intermission after getting fired. And of course, the Citizen Kane (laughs) of Edmonton Water Carrying. Mark Spector, April 27th, 2017, a date that will live in infamy. Uh, it was his column, Adam Larson's Oilers prevail in game Taylor Hall's never could have. Uh, and it, it introduced into the lexicon of hockey fans everywhere the notion of the, quote, 200 hockey men. To quote, the stat stats geeks still hate the Hall trade. The reason because their craft isn't far enough along at this point to quantify the qualities in Larson's game that makes Edmonton better. So basically, we're trashing the analytics movement and saying that they can't quantify how good or bad Adam Larson is because the science isn't there. This is sort of like a, like a, like a Gary Bettman concussion or, or, or climate change denial type approach. Quote, conduct a poll of 200 hockey men. Sorry, Emily. Mm. And it might be unanimous. Edmonton got what it needed in that deal, and giving up Hall was well worth it. So there you go. That That's on the banner hanging from the rafters now. We're retiring it. 200 hockey men. The number 200 above it, the name hockey men, retired, honored, in perpetuity, on ESPN on Ice, the Peter Chiarelli water carrying takes. Godspeed. Peter I have Chiarelli. to say, it was pretty hilarious waking up Wednesday morning and it was like a dystopian society on Twitter of just, there was some really, really morbid and um, just really bleak uh, takes on the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers. The right. damage is done and it will take years to repair. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. It was, it was, yeah. I, and I don't. I don't agree. Like I said earlier, like I think they've got something there to work with. Um, but I also agree that it'd be a lot easier to fix this team if they had some of the assets that uh, Peter Shirelli and the Brain Trust didn't already deal away. All right. That's time for puck headlines. State line, San Jose. The NHL All-Star Games this weekend uh, will be there. What are you most looking forward to seeing in the All-Star Game uh, weekend, Emily? You know, my when I was thinking about last year's game, my biggest takeaway was the coming out party for Brock Besser. It mm-hmm. just felt like a celebration of him as a you know a, a ascending superstar in this league, and so I'm looking forward to whoever's going to be the breakout star. But I think it's going to be Elias Pettersson, and I just want to watch him at this game. And I'm happy he's healthy and participating. 
Yeah, I, I, first of all, I want to see if these jerseys that they've shown us are mm. going to be any better in motion than they are in, in, uh, in a photograph. I don't because... mind them. I, I don't like I also them don't either. think I have good taste in jerseys. That's my hot take. I usually <laughs> like what everybody else hates. <laughs> give me, give me a little color pop, but I'm actually, the, the Metropolitan Division team, like the, the Atlantic's great. The Central's great. The Pacific is, is actually the team that usually wins this dumb thing. The Metropolitan has Sidney Crosby. Claude Giroux, Chris Letang, gritty, and then, and then, <laughs> and then it also has Sebastian Ajo, Cam Atkinson, Matt Barzell. It's a real sort of uh, old meets new type mm-hmm. of team with Braden Holtby and Henrik Lundqvist in goal. And I'm kind of fascinated to see how it comes together. Also, uh, not to bury the lead, Sidney Crosby is going to play in an All Star game, so kudos there to mm-hmm. Sid. It's uh, Wednesday. And, yeah. We'll see um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Dateline, uh, San Jose. We're going to get some serious glimpses of the future of the game as there's going to be puck and player tracking demos, including the broadcast. Um, the one thing I'll say about this is that I do hope that they get into a little bit of the gambling aspect that I mentioned before. This is where it gets real fun. Like the idea that you're going to be able to find out, uh, and, and wager on at some point how many miles a player skated during a game, for example, or stuff like that is, is the real sort of, uh, goofy uh, application of this tech, um, but I've seen it, man. They the, the pucks, tech inside the puck, tech on the on the players' uh, uh, shoulder pads. It's it's all going to look pretty good. Um, is it better than the infrared system they had at the All Star game a few years ago? I don't know. I think that system was pretty good too. But this one is at least better than the camera based stuff that mm-hmm. they tried to do a few years ago. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see how this whole thing plays out. Um, Dateline Gritty, aforementioned. Our favorite mascot is packed and ready to roll for the All-Star game. Will the other mascots treat him kindly or they beat the stuffing out of him? You know, it's funny. I feel like this year all I've been noticing is thing teams stealing different game in-game elements from the Golden Knights, and it's a copycat league. And I'm wondering if and a lot of other NHL teams are jealous of Gritty. And maybe a lot of mascots are jealous of Gritty and all the media attention he's gotten. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I do think they're going to try to beat him up because he's the popular hot kid in high school, and no one likes that kid. That's right. And I feel like they also feel like, like, like uh, much like in the comedy world, uh, comics that steal from other comics are... Uh, bemoaned and, and uh, demonized. Mm. I feel like a lot of the mascots feel like Gritty has kind of ripped off their routines. Plus, how are you going to make a name for yourself, though, unless you take out the best? Mm-hmm. Mm. My eyes on you, Iceberg the Penguin. I feel like this could Ooh. be your time to get a little sudden death on that guy. Uh, midseason awards, Dateline. Midseason awards. Anything worth mentioning from your ballot from the PHWA, which is going to be coming out, I, I think, uh, right after the All-Star game? I struggled with a couple of the positions. Norris was really tricky for me. Um, honestly, even coach of the year was tricky. You, you, you know, we don't get a vote on that at the end of the year. And, you know, as of three weeks ago, I probably had Housley on my ballot. And I honestly, the biggest debate I have is where do you put John Cooper? Like, it's always the, usually the yeah. coach with the biggest turnaround, right? So Barry right. Trotz was my number one. Uh, Bill Peters was number two, but John Cooper has the best team in hockey. He's coaching them up to, you know, mm-hmm. come out and compete every day. Like, shouldn't he mm-hmm. be number one? We also voted on some awards that aren't official NHL awards, like Defense- Best Defensive Defenseman. defenseman. Oh, man, which, I struggled with that. Who'd you Yeah, pick? which in the, th- in, well, in the past, it'd be like somebody who has no points but plays really well defensively. But, like, I think the best defensive player 
uh, or defenseman rather, is maybe Matthias Ekholm, mm. who also is having a breakout offensive year. So it's not like the same thing where it's like, oh, just pick the guy with three points and, 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 and a great metrics. I think he's actually maybe borderline Norris too. I mean, it, it's, he's had an incredible season. Who'd you end up picking for that? Uh, I can't remember who was number one. I, I considered a lot of different guys. Like I considered yeah. Seth Jones. I considered Giordano. I considered a lot of guys that I had in my, you know, Norris contention as well. Yeah. It's weird. Um, Dateline Saints Rams. Was that the worst call you've ever seen in an NFL game? You used to cover the NFL for SI, of course. Uh, the pass interference call that the Rams did not get. I will refuse to call it a missed call. It is a blatantly decided by the officials on the play non-call. Was it the worst you've ever seen? Yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. I feel bad. Look, I understand the systems that are a place to protect referees and, you know, they don't go and do media. We haven't heard the escape's name anywhere, but there needs to be some level of accountability. And, um, yeah, I mean, players blow things all the time and they have to face up to it. And Manitoba just, you know, that ref just blew it. Yeah, and I'm hoping that this class action suit goes forward to it. They have to testify. That'd be great. I would love that. Uh, Finally, Oscars, all the nominations came out. Tom Brady. Mm Mm-hmm. My my uh, my biggest snub probably was "Won't You Be My Neighbor," the documentary about Mister Rogers, which I thought was a really touching and beautiful film, but did not get a doc nomination. And then um, "Sorry to Bother You," which is mm. a brilliant social satire, uh, didn't get a screenwriting nomination either, and I think it should have. I love that else movie. Is, yeah, everything else is kind of straightforward. Uh, I, 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 Black I, Panther. I, Mea culpa, I have not seen Green Books. So I can't tell you if it's as, as pedestrian and, and whatever as, as, as everybody thinks it is. But I do love the idea that people are saying it's the new Driving Miss Daisy. And, and yet again, Spike Lee is nominated for Best Director and could be, could be screwed over once again by the, uh, the tepid vanilla, uh, race relations movie while he's, you know, written something and uh, directed something incendiary. Um, but yeah, yay Black Panther. I agree. Well, it's my biggest Michael- take. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, my biggest movie take right now is I just need to know which did he like better? The Hulu Fry documentary or the Netflix Fry documentary? The the Netflix one is better because um, it's an actual movie. A guy named Chris Smith directed it who did a movie called American Movie many, many moons ago. Great documentary. Uh, and it is one that is structured better. The Hulu Fire Festival one was more like a a uh, – uh, a doc, like a, like, like a straightforward sort of documentary you might see in like a news channel, like a CNN presents type yes. thing, I felt like. Although it also had like a lot of really weird sort of pop culture things like, let's throw in a clip from The Simpsons. Uh, sure. and, uh, and, and so it was a little CNN bit more herky jerky. Yeah, sometimes from day to day. Yeah, you know. But uh, the, but the, the one on Netflix was more of a film. And, but I think they're both good. And I think they're both very interesting. I just feel like the Hulu one is sort of the, it works better as an appendix to the Netflix one. Because you know then what? you get to see the the Billy uh, McFarland uh, 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 interview more and right. flesh out those stuff. That's all. And I read all of the think pieces about which one is more ethical. And I understand that the Jerry Media guys were helpful and you know somewhat partners in the Netflix one. That said, what they provided that footage was incredible for a documentary. It was raw. It was unedited. You know, yes, you can get the actual interview with the guy, but you got to observe him in the Netflix one in a way that I found very poignant. Indeed. All right, now it's time for the ESPN on a, a nice rant line. Let's see what uh, people are uh, upset about this week. First time caller, long time listener, Spencer. Uh, question for you. What on earth does the women's hockey movement have to do to get more mainstream coverage? Everyone's all willing to parade them out and 
champion women's hockey when Canada and U.S. play each other in various international tournaments, but I see no coverage of the NWHL on major news sites, except maybe the Athletic. If that, uh, NHL teams are just starting to work in, co- in tandem with, with NWHL teams. The CWHL gets plenty of coverage in Canada, still not comparable to what they should be getting. It's high-level hockey. I don't understand why college women's hockey doesn't get more notice, given the high-level competition there. What's going on? Is it one of these things where hockey's just run by a bunch of old white guys and (laughs) they don't like change? Because that's what it feels like. It's a great question. Um, Why don't you take the floor first on this one? Well, I think when I think about this question, I sometimes make it selfish and about me and what are ways that I can help. And I think one of the things I'm guilty of, and I think I'd like to change and I'd like to see other people change is just covering the leagues and the athletes as they are athletes in the league and as a sport. Whereas in every article we have to mention, well, there's the one league movement and there's two competing leagues. And well, the women are not treated equally. And we have to kind of explain the situation of what it is. And maybe if we just treat their games like they are games and treat the athletes as they are athletes, um, we can kind of build some momentum and respect for their game in a way that probably is missing from a mainstream audience. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, but I, I would also say that, you know, one of the things that I think in, the, in particular with the NWHL that's holding it back, and I'll, I'll focus on that league because I think since we're both, you know, American sports writers, it's kind of the league that we're probably more focused on. There's five teams. And that makes it tough to really, I think, on a week to week basis, kind of stress the importance of these games when you only have five teams. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a, a, a thing that we don't talk enough when it comes to the merger talk is that the larger the league, the bigger the net, the more interest you generate in different places. Five teams, Boston, Buffalo, Connecticut, New York, and, and then one in Minnesota, from a sort of sports writery beat perspective, kind of hard to get up for a game in you know December when there's five teams. And you don't really understand what the playoff implications are going to be. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. that's sort of the, the big functional take on this. Um, but then the other take is that we do a really terrible job covering women's sports. And I think it's going to change when there's a merger. I really do. I, 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 I'm, I'm optimistic that once you get all of the Canadian and American national team stars in one place. Because it's expand- a big enough league. Yeah, and expand the league uh, and, and have a good number of teams in different cities, both in the U.S. and Canada. It's going to increase coverage. It's only natural. It's going to happen. But two competing leagues, both of sort of limited scope and size, um, I think it makes it hard from a, 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 a week-to-week basis to really kind of uh, get a lot of coverage. But it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be covered, and it doesn't mean that we cover it right because we don't because you're right. At the end of the day, there's way too much process and what does this mean for the big picture and the movement kind of stuff versus how good is your goalie. Mm-hmm. And that should really be a lot more of the coverage than, than it is. All right. That's BSPN and Ice for this week. Thanks to Rick DiPietro. Thanks to Marty San Luis. Thanks to Linda Cohen. Thanks to you. If you dig the show, star rating, review on the old iTunes. Helps people find the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you in, uh, in San Jose and stuff. If you see us, say hi. We always like that. Right? Right. We do. Until now when bye. we're saying bye. 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 This is 
Bet ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.